Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com. We're going to be diving into the message, so if you have a Bible, you can be in, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. As you turn there, just a quick story. My, uh, I remember when I was a kid that one of my dad's birthdays, he asked for sailing lessons. And um, like just, it felt so random. Like, I'm like, oh, okay. And from that day on, my dad got really into sailing. And so you kind of start on these small boats in like Mission Bay and and then you kind of grow to larger and larger boats as you get more comfortable with it. But I remember when I was like, when my dad was really getting into sailing, that at first I'm like, oh, this is cool. Like, I'll go like hang out on a boat and, you know, like we'll go in the bay. But all of a sudden I realized that you're completely contingent on the wind, which did one of two things. One, it was incredibly frustrating because you're trying to have to maneuver the boat to catch the wind in just the right way to propel you forward. But the bigger deal was that this level of unpredictability. And so as a child, I began to dread sailing because of this unpredictability that would happen when we sail. And, 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 it all, and it all came to fruition when one of the days it was really windy. My dad's out there on this catamaran and it capsizes while my then like 75-year-old grandma like goes into the water who cannot swim. Luckily, she has like a life jacket on. And I was like, see, see? <laughs> And like, I'm like, this is just not my thing. Like, it's cool, it's your thing, Dad. It's not my thing. Um, but my dad just continued to do this. And as I got older, my, like, my strong, resolute no to sailing slowly started to be like, well, like, maybe you're better at this now. And so I started like, kind of like getting back into it with him a little bit and learning these things. And what has happened is this thing that I, I really loathed as a child because of the like anxiety and worry it would produce in me. I slowly started seeing kind of the beauty of it. And I'm like, man, this is really amazing. Like what you're doing and you're only propelled by wind and, and the effort that goes into it and the camaraderie that's developed through it. And, and the reason I bring up that story is I've been thinking about that as a little bit of an analogy for the series that we're in right now. Um, where we've been talking through the person of the Holy Spirit and what it means for us to be a spirit-filled church. And I think that for most of my life, I grew up in a Presbyterian church. I had very little understanding of, of the role of the Holy Spirit in my life, other than that he was a part of the Trinity. Um, I then ended up going to a charismatic Bible college uh, where people had grown up in a tradition very different than mine. And they would tell stories that like blew my mind that were frightening. They felt like sailing when I was a kid. I'm like, that doesn't seem safe. Like, that seems odd and bizarre. And, and so I found myself, like, trying to figure out what to do with these two worlds. Um, and, and to really, ultimately, wrestle with the scriptures. And say, like, what does the Bible have to say about the Holy Spirit? Because it seems to me that this if the Holy Spirit really comes and fills you and is in charge and leads you, like that just, it seems a little bit dangerous. It seems a little bit unsafe. It seems like it couldn't things get out of control a little bit. And then I also found that the older I got that was more, I was like, yeah, but I think the alternative is actually more of a detriment to just assume that everything is upon the, the, the formation of the mechanics of a, of a human's planning and, and things like that. And, and so as we dive into this, 
this text, we are diving into one of those areas around the Holy Spirit that tends to make people the most nervous. Um, and so maybe for you, like you kind of have that experience, like I don't know about this whole thing. I don't know where you're going with this. Um, and so all I'm going to ask you to do this morning is that you would pay attention, not just to what I'm presenting, but hopefully what the Word of God is presenting, and for us to let that shape our church. Um, rather than our own uh, tendencies and preferences of what we like and what we don't and what we grew up in, the tradition that we hold and the doctrine that we inherited, we would just look at the Bible and ask ourselves questions of what does it say, what is it saying to us, and how do we as a church respond to more at most accurately reflect that. And so, thanks, Jen. Looks so, I really like that dress. It looked really cute on you this morning. I'm just saying. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to read a, a little bit of a lengthy passage of scripture. I hope that's okay. Um, but again, I really want us to glean from the Bible. So would you stand to your feet? Um, as we do, this is just a way for us just to honor the word of God as it's being read. And I would just encourage you, uh, as we read, we're going to read most of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. Uh, pay attention to things that maybe you've never noticed before. Pay attention to things that maybe kind of strike your imagination and there, or questions that come up, things that make you feel uncomfortable. Um, just pay attention to what's going on inside of you as you're reading this text, recognizing that as we read the Word of God, the Spirit of God is the one who illuminates that for us. So starting in verse 4, I'm going to re be reading out of NIV. It says, There are different kinds of gifts. But the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers, to another, prophecy, to another, distinguishing between spirits, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Just as one body, though one has many parts, but all, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye... Sounds kind of Halloween costumes, you know. Uh, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the whole body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. 
If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you, you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. You may be seated. Dr. Gordon Fee, who's the world's premier um, theologian on this chapter, uh, actually passed away this week. Um, he was in a May. I, I read uh, his work both in undergrad and in seminary. Um, just brilliant, out of Regent um, University. And he writes this One reads Paul poorly who does not recognize that for him the presence of this Spirit as an experience and living reality was the crucial matter for Christian life from beginning to end. And so we've. We've been in this series that's talked about the role of the Holy Spirit. We've entitled this series, Form and Fire. And we've done that to combine two camps, two streams of thought of the role of the Holy Spirit that churches, if, if they've kind of welcomed the work of the Holy Spirit within the church, tend to follow in one of these two things. And our goal is we see the Bible talking about both of them. So I'm going to show up a graph on the, uh, on the screen just to just to kind of illustrate these two different themes and how they complement each other. So first, let's just talk about the Holy Spirit's formation in us. Is that the Holy Spirit changes us over time through practices. This is largely from the contemplative tradition. And so things like um, silence and solitude and contemplative prayer and fasting um, are all this idea that the Holy Spirit changes us over time. Well, some of the more charismatic circles um, kind of focus on the fire where the Holy Spirit can change us in a moment through his power. And we see God doing both in Scripture. When he forms us, the Holy Spirit produces deeply rooted fruit. It's a, it's a character development. And the Holy Spirit's fire distributes kingdom-advancing gifts, which we're going to be talking about today. When the Holy Spirit forms us, he creates a sustaining and unifying community. The fire of the Holy Spirit creates a supernatural and missional community. When the Holy Spirit forms us, he does a deep inner work of love, and the fire of the Holy Spirit does a deliberate outward work of love. And so just, again, for some frame of reference, that this, our hope is for us not to pick one of these two things, but for us to recognize that the Scripture talks about the Holy Spirit adding form and fire to the church to make it what it is, and one without the other is going to be a detriment. And so with that framework, I want to dive into the letter to the Corinthians. And just to give us a little bit of some context here, we just read a really lengthy chapter um, that Paul is, and we didn't read all of it, he spends the next two chapters after that talking about this one theme around the role of the Holy Spirit within the church. And as he's doing this, just some things that's helpful for us to know. Number one, the, the town in Corinth is probably the, the most problematic of all of Paul's churches that he's dialoguing with. 
It's a church that is, was planted not by Paul, but by someone else, but he's taken up concern for. And Corinth was this large, significant, Greek-influenced city. A part of its Greek influence meant that it held this philosophy called Hellenistic dualism, which emphasized the spiritual things, and at the very same time, it kind of disregarded the physical things. And so the body was considered less than the spirit. So as a result of that, the church that was planted in Corinth gravitated towards the spiritual things. And so they became, what we, what we think from the dialogue in the letter, they kind of became obsessed with what they believed to be the most spiritual of all the gifts, which was speaking in tongues. So chapters 12, 13, and 14 seems to be Paul addressing a question they've had about tongues, but more importantly, a reputation that they've developed about tongues. And it seems like they have disregarded all of these other spiritual gifts so that they could be most flamboyant and most excessive with this one specific gift in speaking in tongues. And so when, as Paul's addressing them, he opens up chapter 12 by saying this, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. And before that, he, he does something a couple times I think is worth pointing out. He seems to kind of have to qualify his ability to have authority with this church. And one of the ways he does this in chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, he says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, which again would have been a value for the Greek culture, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Two chapters later, in chapter 4, verse 20, says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. So, so Paul seems to try, he's trying to flip this idea that the Corinthians had begun to grasp, that just two things. Number one, is that you had, they wanted to be persuaded with intellectualism. And secondly, that it was the, the most spiritual of the things that they wanted to focus on. And Paul does something here. He says, listen, it's not about how well I speak. It's not even about what I speak. It's if what I'm speaking is then empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's not about talk. It's about power. And I think that that's an incredibly timely word for the church nowadays because we've never had more access to talk. I mean, the fact that you guys have chosen to be here this morning I think is significant because the reality is you could spend 12 hours listening to podcasts and TED Talks and audiobooks. We have such an availability of talk. But Paul says something, says, that's not what it's about. It has to be marked by power. And I think, sadly, because our culture is very similar to the Greek culture, where we, where we crave intellectual stimulation, that sometimes we forget that the people of God should be marked by the power of the Spirit and not just by words. And so he goes on and, and he starts instructing them about the specificness of the spiritual gifts. Now, a couple, a couple of notes on the spiritual gifts before I get into it. Number one is to address why were spiritual gifts given to the church. And what, what most, if, when people are looking at the New Testament, the reason why they see the spiritual gifts activated in the church, early church 
was because when Jesus ascended to be in heaven, his ministry did not stop. Look at this verse in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. It says, Now grace was given to each one of you according to the measure of Christ's gifts. For it says, When he ascended on high, he took the, the captives, captives, he gave gifts to the people. So the reason why there are spiritual gifts isn't just for there to be some sort of like, hey, what, what you got? Oh, you're a healer, cool. Yeah, too bad you're not a prophet. You know, like walking around comparing our gifts. The idea is that Jesus' mission didn't stop. And in order to carry on his mission and his ministry, we have to be able to do the same things that Jesus did. And so many of the gifts that we're going to be talking about today were things that were just normal in the life of Jesus. And so by giving those being given to us as gifts, we get to continue on uh, with the work of Jesus. The second thing that I wanted to point out is that if there was ever a church who got it wrong, it was the Corinthians. But I want you to pay close attention. Paul never told them to stop exercising the gifts. Not once. And I think that's a lot of times has been the church's default. If, if things go awry, they just kind of walk away from them. It's like, well, that's, that's, that's dangerous. Maybe it resulted in church hurt or abuse or things like that. But if there's ever a church who got it wrong, it was the Corinthians. And Paul never once just said, you should just probably stop. You should, I won't say it. You should, be, you should, you should just kind of lean into some other stuff. Rather, what does he do? He says, I don't want you to be uninformed about them. He spends time teaching them how to use the spiritual gifts. And that's what this week and next week are going to be about. So this week we're going to be talking about what are the spiritual gifts, why do we have the spiritual gifts, and then next week we're going to be talking about how do you actually use them, and when do you actually use them, and kind of give some practical things around it. So if you want to know, like, well, what is this actually going to look like in the life of our church, that's going to be next week. Today is going to be a little bit more of what are the spiritual gifts, why were we given them, what are they, and so that we can have a clarity and a sense of even desire in our heart this week as we pray for those things. And so um, if you're taking notes, this might be a good time to do this. We're going to be going through a lot uh, but I think it's really important just to kind of set the stage for us as a church. So the first thing I want to point out is that Paul, in three different letters, gives us a list of spiritual gifts. So in Ephesians, in Romans, and in 1 Corinthians, every single time Paul gives a list of spiritual gifts, it's different. I think that's on purpose. Paul doesn't seem to kind of give this one collective list and keep doing that, which means... Most theologians believe that none of these lists are exhaustive. They're just some that he's mentioning, which mean any sort of gift given by the Father for the advancement of his kingdom underneath his empowerment is a spiritual gift. It doesn't have to just be in line with these things, but, it sh but these is a great starting point for us. And in those three chapters, we can't look at all of them, but just a quick word on each. The Ephesians 4, oftentimes scholar call, scholars call them the ministry gifts. The ministry gifts are apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. They are specific for the function of within the church. They're offices that are held. But the Greek word that here is uses charisma. It means gifts. Where you get our word charismatic. And so the charismas within the church, the offices within the church, look like one of these five things. That could be an amazing sermon for another time of how that actually functions. 
The second list is from Romans 12. These are often called the motivational gifts, meaning these don't, these don't tend to be gifts that just come upon you, but they tend to be something that is already kind of wired within you. It seems to be the language that Paul is using here. The list is prophesying, serving, teaching, encouragement, giving, leadership, mercy. So some of you guys might have noticed, or say maybe some of you guys may have taken a spiritual gifts test. If you did, this is probably the test you took, because it has to do with a little bit of how God has wired you. And so you might just, you might naturally just be a merciful person, right? You like always want to take the stray animal home. You always want to give to the commercial that's on TV that's needing money. Like you just, you're that disposition. Some of you guys, you're, you have the gift of serving and like no one like had, like, no one had to teach you that. It's just in you. You always are willing to help. I keep praying for my kids to have this gift and it's yet to fully manifest, but we're working on it. Um, some of you guys have the gift of encouragement. And so, like, you, you're just in you. Like, you always make people feel better. Um, in terms of even the, the idea of prophesying in this list, this might be, like, you, you might not even know, like, what prophecy is in a biblical sense, but you just can walk into a room and you know what's going on. No one has to say anything. You can sense something. And so Paul gives this list, and, he, and, he, and he's talking about, and he uses the same analogy of a body, he says, and he's, what he's doing here is rather than talking about kind of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about here in a second, he's just saying, you're all different. You're all needed. So lean into the gift that God has given you. And don't compare and contrast yourself with other people that have different gifts. But the third one is one we're going to talk about. Is, and this is the, these are the manifestation gifts. So there's the ministry gifts. In Ephesians, there's the motivational gifts in Romans 12, and then there's the manifestation gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. And the reason we're spending the most amount of time on this chapter is this is where it starts to get kind of like murky water for people. Like, well, what, what do we do with these gifts? Prophecy, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, faith, healing, miracles, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, discerning of spirits. Um, if we can just be honest, like, what, what do we do with these? Are these still functioning today? Should they, be, should they be functioning today? And so I want to take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to point out four themes that Paul points out when it comes to spiritual gifts. Number one, therefore the common good. Number two, therefore communal unity. Thirdly, they are to be a, they have to have a, they have a contented function, meaning that you should be content with what you have been given. And lastly, they should have a centered, loving motivation. Because if you notice the very last verse, it says, I will show you a more excellent way. And that's an alley-oop into 1 Corinthians 13, where he talks about the way of love. And so this is kind of how Paul, these four themes that he draws. So we're going to kind of work these different themes. The first one being the one that will take the most time here. says that the gifts are given, and this is verse 7, says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now, a couple notes here. Number one, these are not gifts you and I possess. They are the Holy Spirit's gifts. And so Paul changes his language from charisma to manifestations, meaning the Holy Spirit brings them up. And you are now functioning in something that you didn't just possess a moment before. But it's not yours, it's his. It says a few verses later that he gives them to, as he, de as he determines, he's going to give them to them. 
which means as followers of Jesus, all nine of these gifts are available based upon the Holy Spirit's empowerment and manifestation in our life. And so that means that we don't ever get to have pride over them. We never get to have a sense of ownership over them. But the thing I really wanted to point out is Paul says that all of these things, which a lot of us have been like, we're like, well, what, what's the purpose of these? Or I've seen these happen, but I don't really understand like, it's how it furthers God's kingdom. Paul says it very clearly. It's for the common good. Meaning, in our framework and theology of the gifts of the Spirit, specifically the manifestation gifts of the Holy Spirit, we should be looking through a lens of how is this propelling us towards good as defined by the Scripture. So I want to define these nine different gifts. Um, I, I'm going to, I, I humbly submit this to you. These are just, a, you know, a, Paul doesn't give definitions for these. And so what we're about to offer you is definitions. This is not Scripture. Uh, this is our best understanding based on the Greek language, based on different scholars and commentators on this, based on the context of this. And so the next, how, I, how we define these things is going to be my humble and best um, submission to you guys. You guys can take it and leave it as you want. But I'm going to kind of break this up into three different categories. The first two I would define as divine knowing. The next grouping is divine engagement. And the last one is divine communication. And so these first two gifts, I believe, fall in the category of divine knowing. And these are the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. Now, when I started like becoming friends with and going uh, with different people within the charismatic tradition and going to a charismatic Bible college, um, I would hear all of these things of like word of wisdom and word of knowledge, and this is this one means this and this one means that. And to be honest, I could never remember the difference. I didn't know that. Like I'm like, it doesn't really make sense. And how did you even come up with that? Um, like, and why, like, you know, does, is it bad if you're giving a word of wisdom when it should have been a word of knowledge? It just, it felt confusing for me. And so I want to do my best to, and this is kind of, as I've been studying this week, something that I thought that was very interesting is I do think that Paul is viewing these as two very distinct things, yet they run together. So the first one, I want to talk to you about word of wisdom. So a word of wisdom is a word or message of the wisdom most likely concerning Jesus Christ as Lord, which can only be revealed through the Holy Spirit. Now, in the very first chapters of 1 Corinthians, when, he's ta when Paul talks about wisdom, he's referring to the wisdom that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And if you notice at the very beginning of 1 Corinthians 12, the whole chapter is set up by, by talking about the role of the Holy Spirit in someone's ability to even say if Jesus Christ is Lord. So it would seem to me that a word of wisdom has to do with someone's ability to actually proclaim the deity of Jesus Christ that they wouldn't have had on their own. By the way, if you're a Christian, that's all of us. It's because the Spirit is the one that leads us, that reveals to us who Jesus is. So a word of wisdom, it has something to do with the divine wisdom. Sometimes Paul uses the word divine mystery of who Jesus Christ is. The next one, word of knowledge, is a word or message of knowing facts or details that would otherwise would be unknowable without the help of the Holy Spirit. So the first one is general. It points back to who Jesus is. Word of knowledge, it seems that 
um, knowledge is the Greek word gnosis. And when Paul uses this throughout the letter, it seems to have to do a little bit more with facts and details. And so if all of a sudden, let's just say, for instance, let's just make them really practical. Um, you're in a moment, and maybe if you think about your moment of salvation, and all of a sudden you realize, like, oh my gosh, Jesus, Jesus is who he said he is. That may be the, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit giving you the wisdom to see what your soul has been blind to see. There may be other times, though, that you're in a conversation with a friend, and all of a sudden there's something inside of you that you sense through prayer or through fasting or in this moment that you feel like there's some sort of detail, direction, fact that you shouldn't know. I don't know if this has ever happened to any of you guys, but this has happened. I see this actually happen a lot with parents and their children. Like, especially moms, you're really good at this. They all of a sudden, you know something that otherwise you shouldn't know. And you may want to call it intuition. That's, that's fine. It's what our culture would call it. I think that the Holy Spirit manifests himself in giving you knowledge that otherwise you would not know why for the common good because he cares about your children or he cares about your friend however whoever is receiving that knowledge is someone who's like man i i don't know how you knew that or why you know that but that was the exact information that i needed at that time so that's kind of why those two kind of they help us know things know god and know what he's up to in a way that we wouldn't know just because we read lots of books or we know someone really well. I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to know things. It's like Jen waking me up at like three in the morning, like we need another venue. And I'm like, I'm so tired. <laughs> and how everything lined up into this thing is like, I would, I would actually say like, there's no reason for, t- for her to have done that other than that was probably a word of knowledge. That there's something that she knew that she shouldn't have known the Holy Spirit gave her that worked perfectly with the timing of us and a venue and another church. And it just becomes too many coincidences to be anything other than the fact that we believe God actually allowed that to happen. The next three gifts, we're going to call them divine engagement. The gifts of the Holy Spirit allow us to not only declare, but to demonstrate that the kingdom is at hand. So one interesting thing about Jesus's ministry is, did he teach? Yes. He preached, he did amazing things, but he would then go and he would do works of miracles and that people would associate that to the authority of his teaching. And so the next three would kind of fall into that category, faith, healing, and miracles. So again, uh, here's, here's some definition, uh, definitions. So faith refers to a supernatural conviction that god will reveal divine power or mercy in a special way in a specific instance meaning that like you just know god's going to show up and you probably it's probably against all odds you guys ever had that sense before and again i'm not just talking about like you're like this blind optimist that's not faith it's like listen i don't i don't know how we're going to do it but i know god's going to show up and maybe your friend or your spouse or your family member, just, they can't see it. They're like, man, this just looks so bleak. I don't know if we're going to make it out of this season or this trial. But then someone rises up with a gift of faith. And they're like, no, God is at work. Like, don't, don't, don't you see it? Can't you see that God's not abandoning us? Like, hold on. I'm so thankful when people exercise the gift of faith in my life. Um, 
The second one is healing. This is, doesn't need a ton of definition here. It is what you would think it is. God's supernatural miraculous healing that can take place, which marks the coming of the messianic age and the compassionate nature of God. So when healing starts happening in Jesus' ministry, the, his audience didn't just associate like, wow, that guy's got, should be on like the Vegas Strip or something like that. Like he's got a great miraculous magic thing going on for him. Their, their understanding of the miracles were the kingdom of God had come. So when healing took place, they realized that that's, what's, that's what was said in the Old Testament would happen when the Messiah came. So why is healing important for Jesus' day? Because it meant that he was the Messiah. Why is healing important today? Because it continues to confirm that Jesus is the king of this entire world. And it also continues to reveal that there is, there is this benevolent, merciful nature of God that cares not just about our eternal souls, but the physical bodies that we inhabit now. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago and, and, and kind of the, sometimes how we can get caught up in the messiness of that. But I think that there are times, and I think it's safe to say it's not every time, but there are times when the Holy Spirit shows up for a moment of healing. The fifth one is miracles. This is just kind of like a junk drawer term for anything supernatural, right? So literally working of miracles, which is broader than just healing, but could include it, any sign of wonder that would not be possible apart from the hand of God. Um, so these are, you know, this is, in, you know, we always used to joke with my mom because she'd always pray for a parking spot like at the mall during Christmas or La Jolla Shores or this place you never find parking. And she always would get it. And we're like, stop praying for it. But then it kept working, and all of a sudden, we're like, pray. Pray. I'll, like, call my mom, like, 30 minutes away. I'm like, can you pray for me? I'm like, I'm heading in right now. <laughs> you see a miracle, you know? Um, the, next, the next category, or the last four, uh, have to do with divine communication. That not only do we have a divine knowing, not only do we have a divine demonstration, but we also have a divine communication, meaning that God speaks to us and we can speak to God in a way that's beyond just us in, in the, the normal communication that we have. The first one that he mentions is prophecy, which is the spirit-inspired, intelligible message orally delivered in the gathered assembly intended for the edification or encouragement of the people. Okay, I didn't write that one. It's too smart. Gordon Fee wrote that one. Um, but it's prophecy in the Old Testament and New Testament are slightly different. And let me just give a brief definition on, on them. Prophecy in the Old Testament would happen when the Holy Spirit would come upon an individual, a prophet, and then he would, he would foresee... Um, what was going to happen in the future, oftentimes it would be in, in reference to um, impending judgment if there was no repentance. We see this shift happen in the New Testament in the prophecy of Joel. It says that the Spirit of God will be poured out to everyone, which means everyone has this ability to do this. And then Paul goes on to later define it, which we'll talk about next week, that the role of New Testament, New Covenant prophecy, is for the edification, which is a fancy word for building up, for the building up of the church. And so this is all of a sudden, you're, let's say you're praying for someone, and all of a sudden you just sense something you need to pray over that individual that otherwise you would not have known. You get a picture, a word, a Bible verse, 
And it happens to be the right scripture for that person at that time. It's God speaking to you. So prophecy is from God down to us. Tongues, which we'll talk about in a little bit, is from us up to God. It is a prayer. So prophecy is our ability. I mean, guys, think of how beautiful this is. Because the Spirit of God has been poured out on all of us, we all now have the ability to hear from heaven. Now, one thing I will say about this is that if you are new to this idea that God can speak to you, there are some, there are some things that the Scripture gives us as ways to, to do this well. Number one, meaning that God will never contradict himself. So read your Bible. If you ever feel like you have a prophetic word that is out of line with the nature and character of God or the scripture itself, it's not a prophetic word. It's the burrito you had at lunch. You can just know that. And that's, and that's fine. But you just need to know that God will never move outside of what he has revealed himself to be through Jesus Christ through the scriptures. And so if you don't read the scripture, prophecy is going to be a little bit problematic for you because you won't know necessarily. Is this in line with the word of God? And this isn't like, doesn't mean you can't prophesy. It just means that you need to do the work in recognizing. This is why if you are new to, to prophesying, um, using the Bible as your avenue to prophesy is a great way. Just because you can recognize giving someone a scripture is a really safe way to prophesy because you know that you are actually stepping into that space where God has already, has, God has already spoken to you in that. Also, which we'll talk about next week too, is it says that when we give a prophetic word, there is a human element, by the way, there's a human element to all of these things, which means we, we avoid the statement um, partly because it sounds like Shakespearean, um, but it, the phrase, thus says the Lord. And the reason why we do this is because God may be speaking, but there's two things that need to happen. One, we need to make sure that this is confirmed and in line with scripture. The second thing that the Bible says we need to do is that it is up to that individual you are giving the prophetic word to, to actually judge that word. Which means we don't just get to speak on behalf of God for other people. We can submit something. And we can ask them to pray about it and receive it or not. And so some of you guys have been in, in situations where there's been prophetic words and you're like, man, that couldn't have been more off. For me, can I just share you guys' mind? Whenever I've been in rooms when like, a, like someone who operates in the prophetic comes, I don't know why, they always look at me and they're like, you really struggle with anger. It's true, huh? Every time. Every time. Now, I'm not saying I don't get angry. It just, it's not my default setting. Like, I'm a nine on the Enneagram. I'm like more like, oh, we're good, right? Like, I think it's like how my eyebrows are shaped or something like that. You know, I think there's like a word for that, you know, but, um, but I, I mean, people like that, and there's like, yeah, you, there's anger, but I'm like, I'm like, is God, is there? Like, I'm not staying up at night wrecked by that. Why? Because I get to judge that. And I'm like, and I'll ask my wife, I'm like, am I struggling with anger? And she's like, no, I'd actually like a little bit more. <laughs> Some pizzazz from you, please. I'm like, okay. Um, 
But again, in its simple definition, you are, you are leaning in, you're pushing your ear to the heart of Jesus and saying, God, what is your encouragement and your edification for this person? Is, does it line up with your scripture? And then when you, and then the second thing, or sorry, the third thing I would say is ask the Lord the timing. Because sometimes God may show you something, it's not the time. But let's say you, you sense it's the Lord, it aligns with scripture, you think it's the right timing, how you present that is something like this. Hey, I have this word, this scripture, this picture from you. Um, it may, I, this may be the Lord. Can I just offer this to you? And you can pray about it and you can see this like aligns with you. It's a very safe way for someone to actually then consider it and rather than just being like, God said this. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> um, the receptivity is, is much better. The second, um, the next one underneath our divine communication category is the discerning of spirits. Now, I've always heard this defined as, which is, I think, a fine example of this, uh, you can, like, you just know the spiritual force behind something. Some of you guys even know what this is. Like, even, like, Halloween, it bugs you because you can actually sense things that, like, your frequency is a bit higher of just like what's going on. You can't see scary commercials or things like that. You just, you can walk into a room or a space and you can just like, oh man, this is just some funky stuff in here. Um, I think that's a, that's a fine definition of what that could be. It very well could be. Um, another definition that I would like to submit to you is this actually may be a part two to prophecy. So it's the, it's the same way there's tongues and interpretation of tongues. There's prophecy and discerning of spirits. Like, is this from the Lord? or not. Um, because of how Paul frames this, I think the second one is something for us to consider. It doesn't mean that there aren't times where God reveals like an ability. Again, remember, this is not an exhaustive list. Where God couldn't show you like, hey, there's a spirit of fear in the room right now, or there's a spirit of this, or the Holy Spirit is definitely here. I think that's, we have the ability to do that. But how Paul's laying this out, it seems to be that the discerning of spirits seems to be something attached to prophecy that you're able to say like, yeah, that is from the Lord, but it's for you to discern. Um, or you'd be like, you know what, like, thank you for trying and your heart in that. And like, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to receive that. Um, and you don't have to, maybe you don't have to tell that person, maybe you do. But like, you just, you have the gift of discernment. You get to discern where that's coming from. Uh, the next two, and the last two, um, is the gift of tongues. Now, this is the one where the Corinthian church and the church in the West seems to just have the most problems with. Like, what do we do with this? And I think that one of the reasons we have a problem with this is this is, the one, this is the one gift we don't really see Jesus operate in. It doesn't mean that he didn't, but like he probably already had memorized the angelic tongues. You know, he invented them. So we, we don't have a framework for how Jesus used this. So I think it has the most potential to like kind of be like, what, what do we do with that? So a couple of things I would love to just share quickly on, on speaking in tongues. Uh, number one, the Greek word for tongue, it, I don't think that word's really helpful because it, the Greek word is literally languages. So when you ever hear the word tongue in scripture, you can also just read that as language, that God gives the manifestation of language. Um, there seems to be in the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament that there is this ability that the Holy Spirit gives people supernaturally to speak in another language. We see two primary purposes of these languages showing up. The first one, which you see in Acts chapter 2, 
is that it's for the purpose of evangelism. Where there's people in, the, in your presence that need to hear the gospel and you don't speak their language and the Holy Spirit manifests itself and all of a sudden you speak and you, and you get to speak that language. Man, how many would just have loved that in like sophomore year Spanish? Like, please God. Um, I've actually had someone prophesy over me that I would have that gift someday. It hasn't happened yet, but I'm open to it. I'm like, Lord, that'd be so, honestly, it'd be so cool. Um, I have one of my professors who I know very well, his friend, this actually happened to. Um, so this isn't like, just like I heard about it on the internet. Like I know, like someone I trust very well, this happened to his best friend, where he was a, he was a missionary and went up to speak his, his sermon. There was an interpreter and he paused and looked at the interpreter, and the interpreter just looked at him wide-eyed. And he repeated himself, and the interpreter said, you're speaking the language. And he's like, what do you mean? And he goes on and just preaches the entire sermon in a language he never knew. So can it happen? Yeah, it happened in the book of Acts. It's actually happened modern day. It's very rare. It seems to be the second purpose of the gifts of tongues. It seems to be what Paul says that, it says later on in first chapter 14, it says the mind is unfruitful, meaning you actually don't know what you're praying. Um, first Corinthians 13 talks about that there's tongues of men and of angels. So maybe it's an angelic tongue. Maybe it's another language that you just don't know. But the purpose of tongues, it seems to be later on in Paul's letters, seems to be that there's something that is happening in your spirit that is being built up that you need to connect with God. Now, this is really fascinating because since the enlightenment, it's really hard for us to see anything beneficial for us that doesn't involve our mind. So the minute we hear, like, your mind is unfruitful, then we find, that they're like, well, it's, what's the point? But it's the same, I think it's the same reason why fasting is so important. You are connecting to God through your body. It is, it is worship. And we always lean to, like, the, the, the cerebral kind of things. Um, but speaking in tongues, this, this language, you don't know what it is. It's not going to stimulate your mind. It's stimulating your spirit. It's growing your spirit. It's, it's edifying. It's, it's you're building up yourself. Paul will go later on and say, like, I, say, I wish you all spoke in tongues. He said, I speak in tongues more than all of you. And this is from the guy who spent multiple months and years of his life in prison. So there's something there. There's something that builds um, builds up a sense of, of speaking in tongues. Uh, interestingly enough, 2020 did a special on speaking in tongues I watched a few years ago. And they did these brain scans of people who were speaking in tongues. And what they found is that the, the part of the brain that lights up when you're imagining something or pretending or fantasizing, fantasizing uh, was dormant. And the part of your brain that uses language was lighting up. And the whole point of this study was saying, if people were just making this stuff up, then it would be lighting up the part of the brain that uses imagination, not language. But the language part of the brain is being lit up when these people are speaking. It's not about your connecting with your mind. There's something in your spirit. Romans talks about even with inward groans, a sense of like, God, I don't, I don't, I don't know about you, but like, for me, a heavenly language often comes in moments where I'm like, I don't know what to pray, God. I'm either overwhelmed, confused, or there are moments of just absolute, just overwhelming joy of like, God, you're so good. I don't know how to come up with my own words to express your, your goodness for that. 
the last, the last gift is the interpretation of that tongue, and this is specifically within the uh, confines of a, of a community. Now, um, we'll get to that next week as far as like what, what's the role of tongues within the body of Christ, but it seems to be just a little bit of a summary. It seems to be that tongues, if they're not being used for inward edification and personal edification and they're being used in some sort of corporate setting, there must be an interpretation of that language. One way you can tell if someone is interpreting it correctly, a little cheat sheet for you guys, is if in their interpretation they are interpreting a prayer because tongues is a, it's a language given to God. And so if that interpretation sounds more like what God's saying to you, that's probably more of a prophecy. But if the interpretation of that tongue is interpreting a prayer, um, then that's one way you can be like, yeah, that's probably an accurate interpretation for that. And if you're, and if you're just sitting here and you're like, this is weird stuff. I know. Like, I just, there's no way around it. I'm like, this is, but here's, here's what I want to say, and I've completely ran out of time, which is okay. We won't get to the rest of the sermon, but um, a couple of things I, w- I would just like to emphasize. Number one is what I said in the beginning. Just because there was a church that misused these things, Paul never dismissed the use of them. He informed the church on how to use them. Second thing, these, from what we can tell from 1 Corinthians 12, these are not our gifts, they are the Spirit's. And he manifests them as he desires, meaning that we don't have to necessarily do the work here, although we are invited to partner. There's nowhere in Scripture that talks about the gifts of the Spirit happening to you in a way that you don't get to control. Please hear me. A lot of times people get really like concerned with this. Like, well, like, do I, am I going to start just praying in tongues? Like, that'd be, guys, that would be very strange and very, that'd be really frightening. Nowhere in Scripture does it talk about a lack of partnership in these moments. Now, it doesn't mean that we create them, but it just means we are open to them and then partner with the Holy Spirit in those moments, whether it's a prayer for someone to be healed, whether it's speaking that prophecy, or whether it's speaking in tongues and that, and that language. It, it's not something that God will just take over you and make you do. We don't ever see that happening. But it's something that we're invited into to partnership. Um, seeing if there's anything else. Um, oh yes, and, th- and this is what, and this is what I would like to kind of end on. And again, keep keep reading First Corinthians chapter twelve yourself. The end of it, he literally says, "Are all and he kind of lifts his, these gifts? Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all speak in tongues?" That what he's inferring in that question is no. So just to clarify. There are churches in the Pentecostal, Pentecostal tradition that believe if you do not speak in tongues specifically, that you have not been filled with the Spirit, and some would go as far to say that you're not a Christian. Um, I think the Bible firmly rejects that because Paul, while writing to Christians, literally says, do you all do this? And the inference there is no. For him to go on later says, I wish all you all spoke in tongues. I mean, there's some people that don't. His point here is not to say, like, you all need these things at all times in some sort of hierarchy. It's kind of the opposite. It's just, no, when the Holy Spirit gives them, let it lead you towards unity. And the last thing, when I think it's according to what Paul's saying here, the most important, is that we cannot desire and function with these gifts of the Holy Spirit if it's not motivated by love. So please hear me. 
if, if you come from a tradition where these things have been motivated by power or control or fear, um, they need to probably just be set aside for a moment and just say, like, Lord, I, I need a different motivation. Because Paul spends the, the entire chapter 13 talking about you can't be doing these things without love, otherwise it's meaningless. We have to do them out of love. And as we desire for our motivation to be from a place of love, I do think it's fair for us just to say, Holy Spirit, would you come? Like what Paul said, I eagerly des- you should eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. So some homework for you. Um, number one, read this for yourself. Study it for yourself. Um, specifically, this feels very foreign to you. It's kind of new. Um, but my hope is that you would come to a place, and again, we'll talk about this next week a little bit, that we would come to a place as a church that we could say, Holy Spirit, we want you and all of who you are. And if that means that there are times when you manifest your presence in a way for what? The common good motivated by love, then we welcome you to do that. And then at the same time, also recognizing that this is not some sort of way to judge your spiritual maturity. If there is, it's love. And so let that be our motivation. And the second, and the last thing I just want to say to you guys, if, if you have questions about them, would you just write them down about this whole thing? Um, we may answer them next week. So come next week. Um, and then if you still have questions, write them down to me. And feel free, you can literally shoot me an email. I would love to continue the, the conversation with you or Stevie. I'll probably give it to Stevie. Just kidding. <laughs> As your pastor's appreciation gift, I'm giving you all of the. No, but maybe we'll do a Q&A or something like that. I don't, I don't want to, like, I know this is a quick series for the topic we're doing. So write down your questions. I mean this. I would love to hear them, and maybe we'll do a Q&A, or if there's not a lot of them, we'll just answer them via email. But I, I want to make sure that, to the best of our ability, we can give you guys a framework on this. So we're going to close the, the service, and this is what I'd love for you guys to do. Would you stand to your feet? Thank you, guys. I know it was a little bit longer than normal, but thanks for sticking with me. Um, for those here who are comfortable, um, would love uh, and would love for us just to ask for the Holy Spirit, like we did last week. Would you come and fill me? Would you fill me again and again? Come, Holy Spirit. And then for those of us who this has been a point of confusion or fear, would we just pray ever, ever so? Um, just honestly, Lord, would you help me just be more open? And if there are those of you guys who maybe just had a, a bad experience with this stuff, maybe we just beg, Lord, would you just heal my heart and help my understanding of these things? So, Holy Spirit, we just... We just talked a lot. And you tell us in your word that the kingdom of God is not about talk, but of power. And so we just want to say this is not a period, this is a comma. Because it's not enough just for us to learn and dissect and study about the spiritual gifts. We want you, Holy Spirit. We want you to continue the work that you came to do, Jesus. 
And we recognize we cannot do that apart from you, Holy Spirit. So Lord, if there are moments in our day, at places of work or with family, our open table, Lord, that you would like to give us a gift that would advance the common good that is motivated by love, would you do that? Lord, we just, we honestly to say to you, there's, there's some things maybe we don't have all figured out. That's, but Lord, I pray that you would continue to be the one who leads us into all truth. And Lord, I pray for areas of our hearts that feel cautious, fearful, or wounded and hurt. Would you come and heal those places? And Lord, I, I, I'll, for myself and anyone who wants to pray this prayer, Lord, we just have more of you. God, more gifts. Lord Jesus, not for me to possess, but for your goodness to be distributed. So would you come and would you empower us and fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com.